Welcome to Roadhouse Minute, the podcast where we review the best bad movie of all time, Roadhouse, one minute at a time, and where we always try to be nice until it's time not to be nice. I'm Roger. And I'm Marcy. This is Minute 27. We're going to close out the week. This minute starts with Dalton getting more coffee, and it ends with Dalton showing off his martial arts skills for the first time with an unruly customer. I'm excited about this minute because it begins with, uh, as I was saying last week, one of my favorite characters, the uncredited bartender, parentheses, let it or unlet it. This is James McIntyre's Time to Shine. That's so weird that he doesn't have a credit. Yeah, I... I, I still don't understand that. I wish I could find out more about him because uh, he has been in other things. I've seen screenshots of him. If you Google him, um, you will see screenshots of him in other movies. Dalton Dalton seems to appreciate him. Uh, but, I mean, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, you got any more thoughts about Let It or Unleaded it Guy? No, that's great. Although I would just say I discovered um, iced coffee this summer, and it's delicious. And you're drinking decaf iced coffee, right? Yeah, but we had this caffeinated um, bag of coffee, so I've been brewing it half and half, and just to kind of use it. I oh, don't know. Just to kind of use it. Mm, that's, yeah. that's very noble on your part. Pretty soon well, you'll say, oh, you know, I'll just buy one just in case I need it. Well, and then I had this feeling the other day, like, maybe I want to have a cup of coffee. And thinking like that would perk me up and then i realized wow that's the beginning of the end it's a slippery slope it sure is but iced Caffeine. coffee a iced lot of people a lot delicious. of people like us coffee so that's wow. exciting that you've discovered that we've discovered all kinds of exciting drinks in the last year or so yeah we have to talk about pat's little skimming operation oh this my is the God. first time we really get to see it so he's my, ultra unslick about how he moves that money yeah my question like literally the money is right there anybody who was looking at him in the bar could not avoid seeing him take like a dollar bill and put it in his side pocket like yeah. how is it possible that no one else is noticing this skimming operation or are they noticing it but they just can't do anything about it because they think that uh He's, uh, you know, he's got these powerful friends. You know, I think that it's just like a split second thing. And he's in the mindset, like, nobody is going to test him because he has got a special arrangement that has made a, made him have this job. And I know we don't know that yet, but he he walks around like ultra cocky. And so he's the kind of guy that's like, I'm going to just do this and I'm not even going to hide it. And nobody is going to say boo to him about it. It's a good narrative statement about just how far down things are at the double deuce that your bartender can be obviously stealing money. Yeah. And it's just gotten to the point where like no one can even worry about that. Cause that's like, that's problem number 15 on the list of problems that this place had before Dalton came in. Did you, did you enjoy the look that Dalton gives him? When he sees this going on, Let like if you, if, you, if you scrub ahead to like second oh, 15, yeah, that's a death stare. Like Pat, pre, I think Pat pretty much fires himself in this minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it's kind of that look kind of mirrors the look that um, Denise had in the last minute where she was very predatory and he is very much like, yeah, you're going down, but either way, something's going to die. 
What? <laughs> Wait. Whoa, you just took that comment and turned it into the ditch where I wait explain to me how in denise's case something's going to die she's gonna eat him alive oh sorry yeah i forgot that you're still going with that cannibalistic metaphor i mean i would say yes they both have a steely-eyed gaze but if you look at denise in the last minute like her mouth is like she's got a little bit of a grin like she's like oh this Mm -hmm. is gonna be tasty for me she's lustful there's there's no joy in dalton's face in this minute like he's he he is angry Uh, i think i see anger in his eyes roger within this minute oh it doesn't happen i'm sorry i was gonna say within this minute but it's really within the next two minutes right two of the employees seal their fate for what how they get fired right yeah yeah. yeah, we're by the a end lot of, of stuff happens by the end of this night in the bar. So by the end of next week, I think we will have finished cleaning house in the double deuce. Yeah, I mean that's a lot that happens very quickly. I was just talking to somebody about like how hard it is to fire somebody in some cases, like how much stuff you need to go through with like evidence and HR and stuff like that, and that is not the case here. No, it's, Dalton is in charge of all the bar business. He and does what, have what he says goes. He does have cause, and I think you know without without these two triggers, he might have had more of a fight. But with this, it's like you're clearly stealing money. You need to go, and the next one, it's you're clearly having relations with underage patrons. You also need to go. Yeah, but I think. We've also established in the previous minute that he doesn't need a reason. Like he just he fires Morgan just because he thinks he doesn't have the temperament for the trade. Oh right, but the other the other gal was stealing drugs. She was stealing drugs. So everybody's got these real causes, except for, for sure Morgan's well, temperament well, being off. Morgan might have more reason to get fired than anybody else because he's just an agent of chaos. But yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying. So this is another scene where we get good sound work uh, because this this whole next part of the minute the rest of the minute essentially uh is is triggered by the sound of breaking glass and once again when dalton hears the sound of breaking glass like if you see his head like there's a sound of breaking glass his head immediately jerks to the left it's like a pavlovian response for him at this point i think when he hears that sound he's like oh there's trouble yeah um and uh you have pointed out in the past you really like the sound work in this movie don't you yeah um so and and that that breaking glass leads us to table dancer. Let's talk about this scene. Just in case you were wondering, our table dancer, the table dancer character is played by an actor named Sylvia Baker. I did not do a deep dive research on her. Uh, she clearly seems like someone who is comfortable dancing on a table and being the center of attention. What do you think about her dancing antics? Well, she's got a lot of knee bending. I mean, we don't really get to see much of her face it seems like a weird thing to do I, I the wonder, way that she goes about dancing is very knee heavy do you think that this situation would have been allowed to go on further if she didn't feel the need to pull her dress up and flash the crowd i i considered that also um because it definitely draws in a a, a crowd of a, attractors around her well she's got the crowd already then she decides to kind of take it to the next level. Yeah. They don't really do it for the audience that's in the movie though. Like we don't see the side of her body that has the skirt up. 
So maybe that has to do with like the PG 13 ness, but we had naked people later on in the movie. Mercy, this know. is not a PG 13 movie. This is, is a hard it an R? R? Oh, oh yeah. right. Okay. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we can get the gist of what's happening there. Yeah. Uh, which is going to lead us to Mercy. Before we before we get to what's going to happen after this, would you be willing to play a little say what? Sure. All right. So again, we haven't played this game in a little while. This is a game where when there's complicated or difficult things to hear in the dialogue, I ask Marcy to try to decipher what's being said. So after uh, Table Dancer gets up on the table and starts doing her flashing routine, Marcy, what do you think that Dalton says um, when he notices this behavior? What is What is his line? Let me listen to it. He just says, hey, hey. Uh, see, that's what I thought too. Until I watched this movie with subtitles, that's what I thought he was saying. But he's actually saying, Hank, Hank. Oh. Because if you notice the person who's the poor, unfortunate soul that's going to be dispatched to handle that is Hank. That is mm. our man, Hank. Uh, so let's, uh, I like the fact that Dalton doesn't immediately step in. I think this is a nice demonstration of empowering your staff. He's going to trust one of his junior bouncers to try to come in and handle the situation. Unfortunately, it's our uh, lacking in confidence, um, youngish bartender or bouncer, Hank. What do you think about, what do you think about Hank's effort here? Well, I mean, he tries the way that he's supposed to and gets pushed aside and then hit. And so I think, you know, he's, He's trying to adopt the new way of Dalton um, and certainly like struggling with his assertiveness and his, his stick to and like maybe he doesn't have the physical skills that he needs to like put himself in a position where he doesn't get socked in the face by a patron. Like there's some there's some places where you can put your body where that's less likely to happen. No, I think that's a good point. I agree with everything that you said. I think he... He does a nice job in this minute of trying to be nice. He's he he goes back at Loudmouth, which is the mm-hmm. character, the the name of the man uh, in the script. He goes back at him twice uh, in an attempt to try to get him to stop, and then you know gets himself punched in the face. I like the fact that after so after he gets punched in the face, pulls himself back back up. As soon as as soon as Loudmouth pulls a switchblade. Uh, his first instinct is to sort of just hold, put his hands up and like protect everyone. Yeah. I think he's, I think I, I really like him. I think he has the potential to be a good bouncer. Like if, yeah, protect everyone, but also not back down from this dude. If you imagine, like if, if you imagine a post roadhouse story continuation, I could see Hank being the person that Dalton tries to raise up and groom and train in the same way that Wade kind of groomed and trained him. Like Hank seems like he could be like the next Dalton. I don't know if you noticed this, but if you go back to second, right around, I mean, right as soon as the switchblade comes out, but if you go, if you want to see like more specifically, if you go to like second 45, 46, 47, you get some more peak terrified Stella right in the background. Did you notice how Stella was reacting to the situation that she sees unfold? Oh yeah. Her face is like, she's in Ah. terror. She's like, Oh oh my God. Maybe she should put her ponytail in a more reasonable location and she wouldn't be so scared all the time. I feel like that ponytail is going to get in the way. That ponytail is whack job. Yeah, She's got a scrunchie on the top of her head. 
Is it a scrunchie or do you think it's one of those fake hair barrettes like in the last minute? No, I think that's a scrunchie. I think this whole minute is a really good manifestation of what Dalton was talking about in the previous minute. So when when Younger said, well, how are we going to know when it's time not to be nice? And Dalton says, uh, you won't. I'll let you know. And this minute is a mm-hmm. good reenactment of that. So Hank comes in. He tries to be nice. And then when Dalton realizes that there's not going to be any way, I mean, basically, I think when the guy pulls a weapon, that's when Dalton realizes, okay, this guy doesn't deserve for us to be nice anymore. And then he's going to come in and just, uh, uh, administer his indiscriminate justice. What did you think about Dalton's ninja moves in this minute? Well, I want to backtrack, not like just to the ninja moves with the knife, but remember, remember a while back, there was a minute where we were talking about Dalton's neck coming out. Yeah. Okay. So if you get to second, second 26, where he's trying to get Hank over there, he does a very aggressive hen peck. Oh, you're right. Like, I, get on over there, Hank. I got you there. With that his seems- head. It's a lot of nonverbal get on that problem. With How do you head. like that? Well, I thought it was really, uh, you know, like a good nonverbal way to say, like, get in there and do that, right? Yeah, for sure. But what, I also thought it was funny because of the kind of pigeon pecking, hen pecking thing that you talked about earlier. What uh, What else do you have, you know, sort of going back to there, what else do you have about Dalton, um, the way he handles this situation? Well, I think, you know, he keeps it cool. Like in the past, we've had this escalation of like, fight and into the melee. This might, you know, somebody might yell like dancer and, you know, people like head on over to her or something like that. So Dalton is very much like, here are some small signals I'm going to give you to tell you what you need to do. And he also kind of has this air where he's trusting that Hank is going to be able to do it. Like he's not jumping in right off the bat, but he's, you know, waiting until Hank needs his, his help and then he has his back. And it's a going, going along what you said, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very localized response. Like if, if you were not within five feet of what was happening here, you probably would have no idea what was going on. Yeah. Um, Dalton just comes in. I enjoy, I enjoy this this wrist lock move that he seems to do on this guy. Like he's he's good at catching things in midair, um, oh, yeah. like this person's this person's wrist as he appears to be wheeling back, um, and yeah. then so he he locks his arm with two hands. I'm not a martial arts expert, so I'm not pretending to analyze this professionally. But he he seems to lock his arm with both hands, pull it back. And then he spins it internally, which exerts a lot of force on the bones. Oh yeah. You probably could analyze this better than me because you're so into fitness that you're more, much more in touch with your body than I am. Well, anyway, that way you twist your arm hurts. And I know less because of fitness, but more because I wrestled with my brother when I was younger. Oh, there you go. Well, I didn't get a chance to do that either. So you're also my expert on sibling violence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he he pulls him back with that extreme amount of leverage on that joint. And then he pulls him forward, grabs the back of his head and smashes him into that table. Yeah. I have a note here. Again, I think the patrons at the Double Deuce are really lucky that all the tables appear to be made of balsa wood. <laughs> yep. Like that, that table just cleaves in two pieces very cleanly they make some things out of stuff material nowadays it's like recycled plastic that if you got your head slammed into that it's not budging no your there's head, no way 
Your head is bouncing off the table if that yeah. were the case. With more um, than a broken nose there. For sure. Although I will say, even with this balsa wood table, if I don't know if you if you looked at all at kind of loudmouth after he gets pulled back up from his table interaction, like he is He's got instant blood all over him. So not only does he have instant blood, but I'm pretty sure he has at least a grade two concussion. Like uh, if you look in his eyes, like he yes. is, he is seeing stars. They're not in the right direction. Yeah. So I, I think I, I love the way that he handles uh, loudmouth in this minute. I think it's, it's a, it's an excellent example. And the one thing I noticed here that I didn't have in my notes, but did you notice, like, if you look, for example, like if you scrub back to second 56 or 57, like yeah. there is real like violence in Dalton's face. Yeah. Do you, do you see what I'm seeing? Yeah. There's like, also like a really. When, when Dalton decides that it's time to yeah. start getting physical with someone, he, he goes from like a three to an 11. Well, I think it's also a great first move for Dalton when he's talking about how he's going to have their back when it's time for action He's going to be right in there. And he does that with much efficiency. And he also does it, you know, very cleanly and just kind of gets right in there and does the dirty work where Hank wasn't able to get it done or was asked not to get it done. And now he's protected Hank from the knife and finished the 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 situation very cleanly right absolutely i mean there's this is sort of like the anti-morgan minute like there's yeah. no way that morgan would have been able to handle this as cleanly as it is uh the last note i have about in the action here is if, if you scrub all the way to the end of this minute denise's friends are sure paying attention now Stop it. Like, they are they are loving this night at the double deuce now i really love watching how the woman on the right kind of wakes up from her trance and the expression on her face when she's like, what? There's something <laughs> going on. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's just like, it's a really funny little split second there and her. Yeah. They're, they're just agape. I think that's even funnier because given the way these scenes were shot and the way that they usually make movies, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they're not actually reacting to yeah. that event right? Because yeah. this was probably shot at a different time. So I just, I maybe we weren't giving these actors enough credit, the ones who played Denise's friends. Like someone must have told them, okay, this is what you're reacting to now. And they definitely perk up yeah, um, and and go right into that, that interested look. So it, it is possible for Denise's friends to enjoy their night at the double deuce. They just have to watch someone get their face meshed into. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the song, uh, so I don't know that we need to get to it again. We're still listening to the Jeff Healy band play Traveling Band, that Creedence Clearwater Revival song. I, in this minute, for our for our actor spotlight, uh, I would like to talk a little bit about the actor that plays Hank. So we talked in a uh, we talked about ten minutes ago about the character of Hank when he, we were introducing him onto the scene, but the actor who plays Hank, his name is. Kurt James Stefka. And uh, I'm going to tell you a short story, which is really kind of a sad story. Uh, and it kind of explains a little bit more about why he's not really been a big presence in acting. He only has five credits in the Internet Movie Database, which I think is surprising. Like, 
I would think coming out of this movie, if I was watching this movie, I would think, oh, you know, there's a guy who could probably do some good work, but but he didn't. It, I get the sense that he sort of made a little bit of a career change. Uh, according to my research, he became a freelance videographer. Isn't that what your brother essentially is doing now? Yeah, video and um, photography. Yep. So uh, it sounds like he moved out to Nevada with his mm-hmm. wife, Stacy. Uh, they were the driving force, according to what I read, they were the driving force behind something called the Ruby Mountain Film Festival hmm. in uh, Elko, Nevada, which is in northeast Nevada. So that's kind of like as far away from Las Vegas as possible. It's, it's, it's basically Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So he's living up there, not that far away from your brother, actually, as, as I guess it would, it would turn out. So here's where the story gets a little, little sad, though. Um, mm-hmm. So... He is another person from this cast who is no longer with us, not cancer. So it's not the same story that we've heard with uh, Ben Gazzara and Sheila Khan, Patrick Swayze. No, this this story, is, it's about to get kind of dark. So here's what happened. Uh, in 2011, he, according to police reports, so right away, you know, I'm about to go to kind of a dark place. According to police reports, he and his wife, Stacy, were arguing over control of a gun Mm. and it went off accidentally and killed her. Mm. And then he shot himself. Mm. So the, the article basically describes it as a murder suicide. That's sad. That's a terrible story. I mean, that's, that's awful, but that's what happened. That's why we have no longer, no more acting credits from Kurt yeah. Stefka or no more Ruby Mountain Film Festival. Did you know that he was in Baywatch? Get out of here. It says he played Rusty McNair in 1989. That is a very Baywatchy name. He was in a movie called The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. That movie I've heard of. I haven't actually seen it, but I'm pretty sure that movie is well-known or maybe notorious for starring Andrew Dice Clay. The shock comic. Okay. So he played Bouncer. (laughs) And then his other credit is he plays Thug in the movie called The Substitute. I get the sense that maybe he tried it for like four or five movies and then he realized this is not for me and then moved into a different career, which unfortunately didn't seem to last. Well, actually, I mean, he, you know, he... This 20 years between 1989 and 2011, so. Yeah, the last movie that's on this list is called Nasty Boys, and he played Lacey. Well, I guess disregarding the tragic circumstances around his passing, I think I think Kurt Stefka does a pretty good job in this movie. Of, of all the members of the bouncing crew, I think he seems to be one of the ones who does a pretty good job developing as a character. Yeah. Marcy, are you ready to do some more crowd surfing? Stop it. I've been ready this whole time. Okay. Would you like me to go first this time? Yeah, sure. Okay. So my pick for crowd surfing, if you go to this minute, you have to scrub all the way back to about halfway through the minute. So if you go to about second 31, I want to give some major props to whoever the extra is. He's It's a man. He's on the right. He's dressed in a white t-shirt and a plaid shirt. He's got a beard. Let's just say when table dancer really starts getting into a routine, he goes out of his way to get a really good look. Roger, I let you finish all that, but I want you to shut the front door because look at the second. I'm on second 31. Yeah. 
I have the same exact person in mind. Wow. Are you saying for two episodes in a row, we picked the same person? Two in a row, my love. Wow. And that, I was looking at that. I was like, wow, man, there's two guys. There's three guys doing this whole situation where they're looking at her dress. But he is the, he moves his body the most to get a good look up there. Yeah. There's So the three guys, I guess you would also be including the guy just to the right of him in sort of a black top. Yeah, and then who's the other one? I mean, are you are you include? You're not including Loudmouth, the boyfriend, are you? No, there's two men. There's three men all together that have their faces looking up underneath her skirt. Oh, there's, oh, you're right. Yeah. I, oh, I see that. There's a guy in between the, the two other guys. He looks. He's got kind of like a flat top. What do you? So just looking at this guy's action, I is he. Is he just so surprised? It almost looks like he's attempting to blow air up her dress. Oh, I don't know about that. But Well, look at his mouth. Like, what is he doing? Oh, yeah, you're right. He does it, look like he's got puffed out cheeks. It is a very... I, I, I want to know everything about what he's doing because this was clearly a oh, choice. Oh, really? You want to know everything about that? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I think... I think I mean, I have written down here in my notes. It's like, like, why is he trying so hard? It's not like she wasn't going to show the entire bar crowd everything in just yeah. a few seconds anyway. But I don't know. I've never really understood like that thrill of looking up somebody's skirt. No, but I, you're like under stairs and stuff. Like, what are you actually going to see there? I know there's a particular part of the internet that finds that very. Oh yeah. Exciting. And Sub, I subreddit under my skirt. I am not part of that group no. for sure. Let's talk about Dalton's three rules while we still have electricity. Uh, rule number one, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. I don't think that Dalton expected Pat to be skimming. I actually think he was a little bit surprised and that's probably why he was mm. even angrier. I did not get the sense that this is something, I mean, it's not like he's never seen skimming before. I'm sure he's seen it at half the places he's worked at, but I don't know that he was expecting to see it in this minute. Yeah. What do you think about Hank? Do you think he expected to have a switchblade pulled on him? Not only do I not think he expected to get a switchblade pulled on him, I don't think he expected to get punched in the face. Yeah. So yeah, he, as you said in this minute, I think very well, I think, I think Hank has a lot of basic skills. He's actually a pretty good fighter in the fight scenes that we're going to see. He can handle himself, mm-hmm. but he does not have, say, what you would call a situational awareness, mm-hmm. right? Like he comes onto that scene. He just puts his hand on the guy's shoulder as if that will somehow control things. Mm-hmm. And then the guy has his fists free, ready to wheel around and clock him. So no, Hank is not really doing a good job of expecting anything in this minute. Yeah. Dalton knows how to handle the situation though. He clearly has, has seen this before and knows how to handle someone with a knife. Yeah. His body's trained. What about uh, rule number two, take it outside. So how do we feel Dalton is doing in terms of isolating the situation? Cause I think that's really what rule two is about. Well, I think he has done a good job of not calling attention to the situation more so than is already happening just because it's happening. I think he's dealing with it pretty quietly. Um, There's no shouting on his part. He's not punching him. You know, he's disarming this person. Well, I guess he does slam his head into the table. Do you think he could have disarmed him without slamming his head into the table? I think attempting to incapacitate this person uh, person was probably a good move because even if he had, even if he had like twisted his wrist and gotten the knife out of him, 
you don't know what this guy's going to do. He could pull away. He could try to, I think, I think the best thing for Dalton to do is to just kind of stun this guy so that his, his bouncing crew can just kind of escort this gentleman out of the bar. Can I ask you a separate question? Do you think that if you are the man with a switchblade in this situation and you walk away from this night, you'd be able to press charges against Dalton for in for like harming you? Not unless you wanted to turn around and have Tillman press criminal charges against you for essentially brandishing a weapon and like menacing violence. Oh yeah. Uh, I think you could argue that Dalton was acting in self-defense because this person was brandishing a knife. All right. All right. All right. So no, I don't think, I don't think that would be a very wise move on his part. Mm. I mean, for all we know, like, like, why do you think this guy pulls a switchblade? Like, do you think he, do you think he's just, do you think he's just, well, because I'm thinking, so if we remember back to sharing husband and well-endowed wife, you had dis- you had created this very elaborate backstory that essentially this was a role-playing exhibition that they enjoyed doing, and they kind of really excited, they really enjoyed everything that happened, including the brawl that breaks out afterwards. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Loudmouth goes home at the end of the night and wakes up in the next morning and says, man, that was terrible? Or does he wake up the next morning and say, Oh, that was a pretty good night for me. I think, you know, maybe there's an exhibitionist quality to her actions and maybe he's really into like showing her off in that, in that fashion. Um, and he's clearly packing a switchblade. So it might be fun for him to like be able to use it. Maybe he has played around with it in his garage or his basement and like, stabbed a few things <laughs> but, I, just want, I just want to imagine that scene where there's just like i don't know a hunk of raw meat and he just pretends yeah. like oh, ding, ding. you know the closest i ever got to having something like kind of physical that i would do with my hands was i had a, one of those zippo lighters in college and i you know how you could do the thing where you click it and flick it at the same time? Well, I don't, see, like, but... It was like a small metal thing that had the lid that would come off. And Marcy, then... I, I know what a Zippo is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just never had one. Okay, so I had friends that fiddled around with them and could actually do like the whole mechanics of flicking it and lighting it all at the same time. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm going to get one of those for myself. Um, so I would imagine that somebody that owns the switchblade kind of like fiddles around and practices with opening and closing it. So I, okay, I have two questions. I know you're tired, so uh, I maybe am. I shouldn't be riffing here, but Cut are you, shorter. were you, were you ever able to master this, the Zippo trick? No. No. Okay. I also I, didn't try hard that much. When I when I picture you with a Zippo, I sort of picture you like Henry Jones Sr. in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where yeah. you would essentially start the thing and then throw it six feet across the room and light the curtains on fire. No, I'm actually a lot better with lighters than you think I am. Well, I think you're good with lighters. I'm just not so sure about a Zippo. The Zippo is... I feel like a Zippo is less scary than those Bic lighters that we have right now that we're trying to light candles with all the time. They're just painful. They're just way too, it's, you're, you're way too 
close to the heat with those things and you can never turn it in the right direction to make it un painful and light the the candle wick okay anyway so my second question is follow up what do you think about someone who chooses a switchblade as their weapon of choice because there's there's going to be multiple knives that we see in this movie this is the only switchblade that we're going to see is that in fact a switchblade like i i called yes. it that but i don't really know my knife well i mean just just looking at the knife itself any knife where you see closed and then opens well yes but also just that particular style where you see well, I, you know what? I take it back. I guess I can't say for sure that that's a switchblade. But given the fact that it's really skinny and the fact that you can see what I'm pretty sure is the button, that's that bumpy thing right in the middle. And the fact that it's it's, oh. a, very, it's a very skinny knife. It, it really, that's a switchblade. Here's a little gif of it on um, a switchblade. Is it like that? Well, if if you scroll ahead to... Uh, oh, you know what it is? I'm sorry, I take it back. This is this is a butterfly knife. Um, I think that's the right term for it. If you if you scrub ahead to 53 seconds, where Dalton is holding uh, Loudmouth's hand to arrest the knife, you mm-hmm. can see that there's essentially a like a black hilt. There's that funny looking middle part with metal. I'm pretty sure this is actually one of these knives where the blade is in fact concealed in the handle. And then when you push a button, it it opens like this. And then you have a knife that you can brandish at people. This guy is on YouTube showing all these different types of switchblade knives. That is true. Those look more like military. Up. Those look more like military knives. Oh yeah. That, well, no, well, that's that's what his knife does too. Okay. There's so, this other kind of knife. I thought that what you were describing was the butterfly knife where it's like it's like it comes out like this and no, then down to the handle. I think there's two kinds of switchblades. One is where the knife unfold blade unfolds like this mm-hmm. and kind of you know sweeps out an arc before mm-hmm. locking into place. And the other kind is the kind where the knife blade is contained within the handle and when you push it it just juts straight up and oh, locks it to place. Yeah. Um my question, so my question is, what do you think about someone who chooses a switchblade as their knife of choice? Do you think that says anything about them as a as a fighter? I don't know. I have no no thoughts about I mean, he could have like pulled out a bowie knife. He well, we're gonna had, see we're gonna see Bowie we're gonna see Bowie knives later in this movie. He could have sure. had that on his side. I mean, this is a man that holds this thing in his pocket, so he he can't be like strapping it to a hilt on his hip or anything. So it's gotta be small enough. It honestly looks like a fish knife. It just looks like he a could what? bone he could bone fish with this thing. Doesn't uh, it look kind of skinny? Well, I think that's necessary when you have a. I guess collapsible so. blade like this. I guess so. I think this kind of weapon honestly strikes me as kind of weak. Like this, this seems like someone who carries it because he wants to feel tough, but who is not actually tough. I mean, you're going to slice somebody's skin with this, but are you getting into the bone and like really doing bone damage? <laughs> I don't know, Marcy. I haven't really considered the lethality I so much. I don't know either. You, you seem to be going into sort of a Buffalo Bill type place. With yeah, this maybe a little maybe. bit. All right. I should get you out of here before you turn into a pumpkin. Oh, so I'm halfway there. 
let's talk about rule number three. Were we nice in this minute? <laughs> not, I, there's there's one there's one instance, and I feel like we should begin and end this minute with uh, the MVP of this movie for sure, James McIntyre, bartender, let it or unleaded. He is very nice in this minute, and I think mm-hmm. he deserves another moment of praise. But other than that, there's there's not a lot of niceness to be had here. I mean, except for Hank. Don't you think Hank does a good job of trying to use rule number three with? With yeah. the unruly patrons? Sure. Loudmouth, not nice. Uh, Dalton's not nice, but that's because he realizes that it's time not to be nice, just like he told us in the last minute. Mm. Well, thank you once again for listening to another episode of Roadhouse Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Come and join us on Facebook at the new Double Deuce. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at, at @rhminute, and you can email us at daltonsaysbenice at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, be nice. Bye now. Bye.